Episode of Video Game Logic. Today's episode was recorded on December the 29th, 2020. I'm your host, gaming psychologist, and with me, as always, waiting in line for his gene resequencing, Caffeine Rage. On today's episode, we will, of course, be discussing the games that we played. We're going to be covering the December Game Club, which was Celeste. We will reveal to you the super secret next Game Club for January. There was a 10-year-long study that confirmed there was no link between playing violent video games and actual violence. We'll be talking about, in a general way, Steam's two, or the Steam 150's best game releases of 2020. At Steam uh, 250's uh, best 150. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, St- uh, it's a terrible, terrible, uh, just clusterfuck of uh, names, but uh, what the hell. A, a, a thingy. A Steam thingy. Yeah it, yeah, it popped up on Reddit, and it's like, oh yeah, the, the site's always fun to uh, peruse. And then we'll have another Steam thingy with a Discovery queue. Timestamps will be in the show notes following their respective topics. Hello, Rage. Hello. I have to, like, we have to mention it. It'll eventually be Franken content with, like, no context. But Craig noped out on us when we were talking about the gene resequencing joke for the opening. Uh, we're talking about COVID vaccines and the stupid conspiracy theories that people have. But, of course, we took the joke to its absolute like fullest and uh, describing what we wanted to happen with our uh, gene splicing and resequencing. And uh, <laughs> I said some things in the way that I do, and I, I shan't say them again because I don't want Craig to leave again. And as soon as I finished my, <laughs> my sentence, Craig just boop, went off, quit working. It was it was beautiful. I mean, you could, you know anyone who's listened to this show for any period of time can probably infer that it had to do with fur and body morphing stuff. If, if yeah, you remember but the real from, question, the real question is just how many penises were involved? All of them, just all of the. Uh, instead of like fingers, they were they were penises, prehensile penises. Uh, well, wasn't that Fallout New Vegas? Uh, or you, cyberpunk? You, 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 well, no, I was going to go with, uh, uh, you wanted the hand penis. Oh, uh, yes. Penis. I might and actually leave uh, that silence. That's, yeah, I might actually leave that silence. Usually I cut really long silences for uh, brevity, but that one, I might leave that one. Yeah, uh, okay, good night, everybody. <laughs> okay, well, Rage is noped the fuck out. I guess I'll talk about games and Celeste and all that jazz. Like, it's fine. Uh, well, it's not like I'll be talking much about Celeste anyway. Then I'll, yeah. Uh, this is the last episode we... of 2020, folks. Yeah. Last one. Well, Next... well, well, in theory, I mean, with the way things are going, we might end up with, you know, a Groundhog's Day uh, event going on. Who knows, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's been a long year. It has been. It has uh, th- been. Th- this has been a single year, not an entire decade, right? This is just the start of the decade. This this feels like this year has gone on for so long. It it feels so surreal for the calendar to about to flip over. Like I know that magically when it becomes twenty twenty one, it's like it's not like anything magically happens. It's just a new day and we keep going. But like mentally, there's that close of one chapter and the beginning of a ne- of another one, and that's it feels so strange to be here. 
Like, I haven't been to my office, like, my actual work in, in nine months. I barely leave the house anymore, which is wonderful. Don't get me wrong. I love that. But it's just, it's so crazy. Time has very little meaning at this point. Everything's a social construct. Woo! <laughs> Include social constructs. Woo! Woo! All right. Let's, let's, let's talk about some games. Uh, Rage. What game... Uh- games did you play well, well, this speaking week? speaking of dicking around, uh, I've been playing Pokemon for the last couple of weeks. So, or, oh, sorry, the Pokemans. i got to pronounce it correctly. Uh, Pokemans, a sharp, pointy thing. And then silence. <laughs> I mean, I assume that you're talking about Pokemon Sword, but I wasn't yeah. going to, you know, jump in there if you were going to keep talking, because I haven't played this version of Pokemon. Uh, so, so this is the eighth generation, and I had to go... Uh, actually look at the generation list because I haven't played Pokemon seriously since the second generation. And that's the uh, gold and silver era, uh, right at the end of the millennium, uh, 1999 to 2002 is what's it's generally considered. And I'm basing some of these dates off Wikipedia because why the hell not? So eighth generation and, th- uh, the first, uh, made for uh, a home console instead of handheld. They've had Switch games before this uh, with the Let's Go Eevee and Let's Go Pikachu. But those were remakes of, I believe it was uh, the first generation of uh, Red and Blue or or Red, Blue, and Yellow. Because, yeah, Pikachu, of course. Uh, but these are the first ones that are made from the ground up for a home console. And they really 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 changed things and for the most part uh, for the better i think so uh, on the whole pokemon has always been kind of clunky because it's based itself around move sets of different pokemans right right where in order to traverse the world you have to have you know your uh hen machine bitch right <laughs> yes uh, typically a Pokemon that's able to learn as many as possible to be able to traverse the world. And you're typically limited to five instead of six uh, of your uh, Pokemans. Well, this one, they streamlined things quite a bit without really hurting the strategy of things. So they made it so that uh, you're able to fly, quote unquote, uh, with a uh, air taxi pretty early in the game to be able to traverse the world. Uh, they uh, attached a lot of the abilities to your bike. There's no, uh, or at least in the base game, I don't have the DLC yet, of uh, having to push boulders around to uh, unblock areas. There are uh, essentially plot walls where you'll have uh, people uh, preventing you from moving forward, but it feels a lot more organic instead of this, you know, uh, this big fat Pokemon's uh, sleeping and uh, blocking the way. Uh, you know, go this other way until you find this uh, convoluted McGuffin to wake his fat ass up, right? Right. And it feels a little weird playing this and Zelda at the same time because it's kind of like the two series of swapped uh, ideas where Zelda has gone very open world and not as heavy on story, at least at the out uh, at the. Uh, at the very beginning, it starts to really pick up whenever you start looking for it and stumbling across things. 
Pokemon, on the other hand, it's more story-heavy than what it usually is, where uh, you are on your Pokemon journey, but it's instead of as soon as you turn, you know, the ripe old age, uh, ripe old age of ten, because of course you are, right? You know, it is Japanese. Right. Uh, it's this annual event in this uh, area of the world where. Uh, people are able to challenge the different gym leaders as part of uh, uh, essentially a festival. Uh, but there's shenanigans going on and uh, there's uh, hints of uh, more story going on that I haven't accessed yet. And in true Pokemon fashion, uh, or I should say later uh, Pokemon generation fashion, uh, just beating the gems is not the entire journey because then you have other things to do on top of that. And that's not even accounting for all the random other stuff that they throw in. So uh, this one, one of the things that they changed also is that you could see Pokemon in the tall grass now. And they'll actually chase your ass if they're an aggressive species. Uh, So it makes it so that you could uh, pick and choose a little bit more of your battles and try to hunt a more rare Pokemon. But also uh, there's the wild areas that's takes up a good portion of the middle of the map. Instead of uh, the map being like two giant loops uh, like uh, previous, or I should say early generations. And I realize I'm probably painting this uh, series with a lot of broad strokes because I have not really played uh, these games for a very long time. So a lot of the innovations, a lot of the changes that have happened that I might be attributing to this game might have happened, you know, three or four games ago that I just never played. So, uh, but, uh, the map is more like more linear with a series of, uh, paths that branch off that, uh, are, uh, that the plot walls, uh, kind of, uh, get removed from over time. Uh, but the middle of the map is called the wild area where depending on the time of day and also the weather, which uh, cycles throughout the, uh, the day, uh, different Pokemon can show up, and you're able to really pick and choose what you want to fight to be able to hunt down things. And this is not including the... Uh, uh, there's dens as well that you could jump into as a co-op battle against these giant Pokemon. <laughs> uh, that's that's kind of the gimmick of this time around, is that different uh, you're able to, uh, in certain areas, make your uh, Pokemon uh, gi- uh, ginormous. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's a limited time thing of only three turns, uh, for years at least. Uh, but it inflates their stats and uh, makes them hit harder. But, you know, like I said, limited time, you have to uh, play it more strategically and it also changes their move. So instead of having it where if your uh, Pokemon is set to be a certain way, well, if you use this ability on it, it might change where... Uh, to something that you might not want. So it's it's an interesting kind of back and forth on it. And this also plays into the different gym battles as well. And uh, the gyms are pretty uh, pretty much like I remember them. With uh, the major change, instead of a uh, uh, typically a series of battles that you go into, uh, they have different missions. So like the first one that you go into, you're essentially herding sheep. And trying to get them past uh, 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 different obstacles, and it's very tough to fail this. It's uh, you know it's more 
it's not a particularly difficult game. And you can out-level a lot of this shit. Oh, was Craig that your is broken Craig? again. No, it was Craig. Uh, I'm sorry, Craig, about talking about Pokemans. <laughs> well, hopefully nothing goes wrong this week, because it looks like we're without a backup. <laughs> oh, yeah, goody, right? Yeah. Uh, but uh, let's see. You're able to out-level a lot of the uh, uh, challenge. But if you don't, if you don't wish to... You could just go in with the, you know, uh, the appropriate uh, counters and you know, play the uh, game, you know, uh, the rock, paper, scissors game like they meant it to be. Uh, I'm trying to think of uh, really any other real improvements that they have, uh, that they've made. They've made it a lot easier to level up and a lot easier to handle a lot of uh, different things. Where doing the different Dynamax uh, rating uh, grant you experience candies that you could shove down the uh, the throats of different Pokemon to uh, get them to level quicker, and also I know <clears throat> I know this one was a a uh, a change that they made a, a several or a few games ago, but they do split the experience throughout all the Pokemon because uh, uh, it used to be where it was only the ones that were active in the battle, but that's a welcome change as well. But yeah, I've been having fun with it. It's uh, definitely uh, something to uh, get. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I just saw what Jim posted. Indeed. Well, that uh, that works for Phil, though. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, I I don't I don't know. I feel like I post way more shit than Phil does. Yeah, but see, uh, you're so cringy that you go beyond uh, the cringy. So yeah, you know, it's so bad. It's so it, it becomes good. I sure. I'll take that. Uh, but yeah. Anyway, anyway, I got off topic. Uh, I'm. I mean, I'm. I realize I'm rambling a lot because uh, Pokemon. It, you know, talking about Pokemon at this uh, day and age, pretty much. If you don't know about Pokemon, you're either like five or you're a boomer. There's no in between there, right? Yeah. I think it's actually uh, one of, if not the top uh, uh, franchises out there these days. Just in terms of sales and and uh, cash coming in. Uh, I'm actually double-checking it. Let's see, top video game franchises. Uh, Mario... T- uh, it's number three, according to this, uh, for top selling behind Mario and Tetris, which is not fair considering Mario has as you know, so many games, right? Depending yeah. on how you, how you break it down, right? Yeah, do you look at just the mainline ones, or do you look at all of the golfs and the carts and the tennises and... Well, let's put it this way. What not? Uh, uh, Wikipedia lists the Super Mario series, the Mario Kart series, the Mario Party series, the Mario Sports series, the Mario RPG series, and the other Mario games. But then Tetris and then Pokemon, right? Yeah. So it does feel a little weird uh, talking about Pokemon as uh, uh, knowing, uh, talking about Pokemon, trying to be slightly critical of it, but also, you you know, trying to explain it because. People know this shit. It's more uh, what they've changed. And it's minor things. They haven't changed a lot to uh, to the formula, but it's a lot of quality of life issues as well. You know, not having to have Hidden Machine Bitch, for one. Uh, being able to see what's go- uh, what's <clears throat> around you to be able to uh, pick and choose and maybe try to get a, a monster that you want. Um, having the ability to uh, move... Uh, Pokemon uh, easier uh, easier between games, 
uh, be able to uh, trade uh, uh, throughout the world a lot easier than you would be able to otherwise. Uh, especially if you have uh, the uh, uh, Switch Online uh, support. Uh, you're able to uh, go into the trades and just hit random trades or just uh, be able to negotiate to get that you know, uh, rare monster that uh, might be a Scream Yourself Awake Nightmare <laughs> that you've been wanting or, you know, or uh, be able to co-op a lot easier. There's a lot of... It's basically Pokemon, but better. Uh, pretty much across the board. Uh, for lack of a better term. So, uh, any question? Nope. It's the Pokemans. I mean, I haven't played a Pokemon game yeah, since yeah, I'm Gold and Silver. Yeah, I've kind of hijacked this one from Anita. Uh, and, we've been, <laughs> and we've been playing uh, t- kind of together. If not just, you know, sitting on the couch and both playing, we'll uh, hop into each other's raids and uh, uh, take on things. She's uh, set herself the challenge called the Living Decks, where she's trying to have one of every Pokemon. So, uh, but that's also including, like, if something evolves. So, uh, like, all the starters she needs three of because she needs the first form, uh, one that's uh, at the second form, and one at the third form. So, been helping her with uh, some of the things there, uh, and just hanging out, having fun. Nice. Um, well, I too have had fun this week, although playing by myself. No one has played this with me. <laughs> Tee-hee. Tee-hee. Um, I, one of the only games I bought for myself on the Steam sale, uh, winter sale, was Ace Combat 7 Skies Unknown. I bought the, like, the game of the year or complete edition, or whatever it's called, that's got the uh, all the DLC planes and missions and stuff. Um, and I, I played through that. I played through the entire story once, and I'm about halfway through the story a second time on a harder difficulty. Um, it's uh, interesting. Ace, Ace Combat has always been, like, a world... Like, all of the games take place in the same world, except for one of them, which took place in our world. That was Ace Combat Assault Horizon, um, which came out between 6 and 7 on, I can't remember, Xbox 360 or Xbox One. But anyways, um, all of the rest of the games take place in their own sort of alternate Earth. But they've always just kind of, at most, winked at each other. Like, you look at the the world map, and you're like, oh, there's the country that was we were playing the pilot in from the previous game, or whatever. Uh, Ace Combat 6 had a moment where it talked about um, the asteroid that imp- struck the Earth that was sort of the setup for Ace Combat 4's story, um, but that was kind of it. But... Uh, Ace Combat 7 goes all in on making this uh, a connected world. Um, Not only are there active references and discussions about previous games, previous pilots from previous games, and previous wars and events, but you revisit some of the places. Uh, It's within a different context. Um, For anyone who's played Ace Combat 4, you go to... uh, Crap, the big railgun thing. Uh, What's it called? Uh, Stonehenge. You go to Stonehenge, there's a mission that takes place on that. Oh, yes, the the famous rail guns of Stonehenge. (laughs) I know, right? I love that. Um, Now, now the question is, is Stonehenge the rail gun, or are they firing Stonehenge? Uh, Yes, and. 
Um, but anyways, so you go to Stonehenge, and there's a character um, from a previous Ace Combat game. Actually, there's two characters that show up in the game themselves and have some type of interaction with you. Um, so they have gone all in on making this a connected world, which I really like. Uh, they did it in a way that made sense. Um, it never felt, except for maybe the last thing where they're like, oh, this is character from previous game. Like, I don't actually want to spoil like the main thing of the story, but it's like another character shows up like at the end of the game. And you're like, oh, okay. That was maybe a little bit like fan servicey, but for the rest of it, it feels like they're taking all of these connected worlds that they've built and are making them into one sort of collective universe, which I hope they continue to do stuff with moving forward. Um, but uh, aside from that, this in some ways is uh, better than Ace Combat 6 and in some ways is worse. They've added new mechanics in the form of uh, high G maneuvers, um, which are fine. They're a little awkward, but they're they're fine. Um, they're pretty pretty nifty and add uh, a bit of extra options to your you know maneuverability arsenal. Um, especially when you're fighting drones, which are a lot more prevalent in this game. Um, and then the like boss characters that basically don't obey the laws of physics. So that's nice to be able to use some of those, uh, high G maneuvers on them. Um, and then they've added weather effects, which are stupid. So whenever you fly into clouds, your plane ice is over and it happens like alarmingly quickly because it's like a, a game mechanic. Um, and it really doesn't do anything except fog up your screen so you can't see, and then your plane turns worse. Because it's like, oh no, all of your control surfaces are icing up. You can't turn. Watch out. Um, but it's kind of oh, pointless. Oh, that sounds like so much fun. It's kind of pointless and stupid and really doesn't matter, except on a couple of levels in the campaign where it's like the clouds are a big deal as part of the level. At, you know, They're trying to shoehorn in the mechanic. And that's frustrating to deal with, honestly, because it's just a pointless mechanic. Like the clouds being there and looking pretty and having um, precipitation or condensation that as you fly through them, like your plane picks it up. I used to be precipitation. Um, that's, you know, that's pretty cool. That's a neat feature. Um, and then there's a couple of maps that have storms on them and your plane can get struck by lightning. Which is cool. It causes your HUD to freak out for a second. It's a neat little effect that they use pretty well. And, and that one doesn't overstay its welcome. And then another one they have that is stupid is wind currents. Which, if they behaved in the way that I think generally wind currents do when they affect real aircraft, it would be fine. But it's like you're flying along all of a sudden. And then, oh no, your plane is blown at like 500 miles an hour in one direction. Better not crash into that cliff. It's just like a really pointless way overdone game mechanic that if it was toned down a little bit i could see it being interesting but really it just feels like everything's fine oh no the game decided to fuck me over and slam me into that mountain over there thanks so that's really annoying um they've stepped back completely from wingman control you have zero control over your wingman uh which is really frustrating because that's been a staple of ace combat for a very long time now so that kind of sucks that that's gone um but your wingmen are, are still useful. Um, they're about on par with how useful they were in Ace Combat 6 or uh, Project Wingman. Um, so they'll they'll do stuff, but they basically just kind of follow you around and occasionally shoot down enemies that are attacking you 
or if there's like stationary targets you're supposed to be destroying, they'll take those out sometimes. Um, but I mean, gameplay wise, the, the addition of the, um, or the changes in the mechanics without really being an improvement on anything from previous games, I kind of, that kind of drags it down a little bit, but it really improves the story. Like they go all out on a really good, coherent story that has a really powerful, direct message, um, like in Ace Combat 5. And the, again, some of it is kind of signposted right off the, the top, um, playing through it once. Um, it's like, okay, this is like the surface level themes you're going for. But playing through it a second time and paying attention to the story and all of the in mission dialogue, there, there's a lot of undercurrent there where that they are, um, essentially very anti, nationalistic sentiments, very anti-American sentiments, which I totally understand. Uh, especially, I mean, this game was developed in the mid-2010s, uh, so around the time of the uh, U.S. election and the re-rise of nationalism in America and certain other European countries. So there's a lot of anti-nationalist, na- nationalistic uh, sentiments in the game. Um, and actually, like, a lot of pro-socialist, pro-leftist messages, which are really interesting. Um, and, uh, actually, you know, with these being Japanese developers, being, you know, Asia, Asiatic cultures are a lot more collectivistic, which I think tends to be a lot more sort of leftist ideals. Not that, you know, Japan is like a, a lefty paradise or whatever, but actually, and now that I say that out loud, that makes a little bit more sense to me. But... A lot of that is in the game, and they portray it extremely well. They uh, got tip-top voice talent. Um, uh, the acting is great. The in-mission audio dialogue is crisp and clear. It's got a really good soundtrack. Um, <laughs> one of the characters in there, um, like you have sort of ace pilots that are um, your rivals that show up in a couple of missions. One of them, their call sign is Rage, so, you know, gets bonus points for that. Uh, uh, is he any good? Yeah. Yeah, very good, actually. Woo! Woo! Um, still shot him down, but, you know, they were good. It was, he was, he was challenging. Um, but, uh, the, there, then there's another character that also kind of reminds me of you, um, except for the fact that it's a girl. But she has got a bum leg, and she is like really grumpy and like insulting to some people but like she really cares about the people in in the story like the main cast in the in the story she really cares about them but she's kind of mean to them it's great i really like her her name is avril (laughs) um but uh it's also got this weird like tech tree thing where that instead of just like straight up getting planes as mission rewards or being able to just buy a plane outright and having access to all of its special equipment, you research a tech tree. And so, um, you know, it really advanced planes like the F-22 Raptor or the Su-47 or some of the specialist fake planes that are, you know, exist in the world itself, but don't have real analogs. Um, those are at the end of the tech tree and take a really long time to build up enough research points to get to them. And then the special weapons have to be researched. And then there are aircraft modifications you can research to really customize a plane to either make up for its shortfalls or focus in on its strengths. And there's a bunch of parts or uh, modifications for all of the weapon types. And 
there are things that will let you, for example, survive a collision with the ground. You know, basically, you get one freebie, so you survive a crash. Hey, I didn't put my phone on silent. That's good. Um, then there's stuff that gives you more missiles, or your machine gun will track targets a little bit, or your plane can go faster or turn better, like that kind of stuff. It makes me really nervous to see. It's rife for microtransaction type stuff, but from what I saw, it was copied from the free-to-play game that was on PS4 only. So that makes sense. It probably was full of microtransactions when it was there, um, and they just stuck it in, in this game. I don't like it very much, honestly. I've been... I'm, I'm about three-quarters of the way through the entire tech tree after a playthrough and a half, plus doing some free missions to farm some of the research points. But it, it is what it is. The, all of the stuff from the DLC is fully unlocked, which was kind of a pro and a con when I played through it the first time. I wanted to experience the game as close to um, the, I guess, standard experience. But all of this DLC stuff is super overpowered and really, really cool and specialized. Well, how else are they going to sell it, right? That's fair. So I had to purposely avoid those until I beat the game the first time. And they're, they're hit or miss. There's three planes. One of them is amazing. One of them kind of sucks, and the other one is kind of specialized. But they're, they're all neat. This is also the first Ace Combat game that I'm aware of that lets you use like the sci-fi weapons that have always existed in the series, like lasers and railguns. They have mixed usefulness, but they're neat. They're neat additions. So on my uh, <clears throat> games ranking list, I ranked it at exactly the same score in every single category as Ace Combat 6, but kind of for different reasons. Ace Combat 6 had way better, uh, I felt like, mechanics, especially in like the squad and mechanics and battlefields, <clears throat> whereas Ace Combat 7 got points in that area for having a better story. Whereas, conversely, Ace Combat 6 lost some points for not having as good of a story. Um, so, uh, there's 20 missions in this one. Although they are long, relatively long missions. It took me about 12 hours to get through the campaign the first go-through. Although, I guess some of that would have been cutscenes. I think my flight time was 7 hours for my first playthrough. And an average Ace Combat first playthrough flight time is about 5 to 6 hours. So, it's a fairly long single-player story. Definitely worth, I, I feel like, the 30 bucks that I paid for it. The DLC missions are, are cool. They're, I guess, meant to be repeatable. They're all score attack-type missions with an interesting story that introduces some new characters and things like that. So, I mean, they were good. I don't know if I would have liked paying 5 bucks a pop for them, but getting them included at, <clears throat> basically, I think that they worked out to be like 99 cents a piece whenever you average it out across all the entire content of the uh, Game of the Year edition. And I, I I feel like they were worth that. But I'm, I'm a pretty big, big Ace Combat fan, so I'm going to play through this game two or three times to really try to make sure I get every last story detail. And then I'll probably go back to playing Project Wee Man, because it's a much better game to play. <laughs> There's just... Ace Combat 7 is supposed to have HOTAS support. It's very hit or miss. There are guides that you can follow that are supposed to help, but my specific HOTAS is not on any of the supported lists, and I just didn't want to. I just didn't want to try. I didn't want to, you know, get frustrated with it. So I've just been playing with my controller, and it, it's been fine. It's Ace Combat, so I'm used to playing those with a controller. Um, the specific score I gave it for anyone who is interested: seventy-four. 
Um, so, yay! Woo! Woo! So, are you ready to go talk about our other game this week? The shared uh, game? Yes. <laughs> I think so. Awesome. So, yeah, we're going to go talk about Celeste, our December game club. For anyone who this is their first go around with us, Game Club is a time where Rage and I specifically set aside a game to play at the same time. We each... its It's been happening more and more because of Game Pass, but in in the past, we very rarely have played the same game at the same time, and we have very different approaches to the ways that we come at games. So we uh, pick a game, we play it, we talk about it, and compare and contrast our experiences. And uh, we have already pre-gamed about this a little bit, Rage, would you like to share with the good people how you feel about Celeste? I uh, quit out of it after Chapter 2. I hated the platforming in this game. Yeah, which is interesting. I really liked Celeste, although I didn't like the platforming. Uh, I guess Celeste itself, for anyone who doesn't know what it is, is a uh, platforming... uh, Uh, It's a hard platformer with a heavy story element. And I just could not get into the story to make the platforming worthwhile. It, I, I still can't quite put my finger on what got me so much. I think it's just part of it was the difficulty curve. Because even the most difficult platformers I've played, bar I want to be the guy level of just dicking you over, has some sort of easing you into more obscene jumps and uh, maneuvers and celeste chapter one felt really good it uh, was a good intro into what to do and then chapter two you know starts to go into mindfuck territory and starts asking some really really unreasonable things and yes yes i know there's the assist modes where you could tune the game to make it a lot easier but I sat there and I was trying to find this you know, right balance of what felt good but still challenging. And I'm just sitting here thinking, there's so many games on my list or on my library that do the platforming so, so much better and makes it so much more enjoyable and rewarding instead of getting through an area and it's like, oh, I'm glad I don't have to go back there. That I just couldn't enjoy it and it actually put me in a very very sour mood because of it yeah there i i I want to point out i don't really i I can't add to this discussion i hate platformers i've never liked platformers i and i'll talk about my experience playing celeste as a platformer but you're in like a super minority on this everywhere that i look i I know know. the platforming so i know this is my red dead redemption (laughs) <laughs> Fair enough. I mean that you know, I'm not here telling like trying to tell you that you're wrong. Just it's interesting to hear you say that because everywhere that you look, people are praising the platform, you know, the oh, precision it's okay platforming if wrong. and stuff. <laughs> that is that is fair. You're allowed to be wrong. Yeah, I, I think part of it is just the difficulty curve. It just suddenly shoots up. And it d- doesn't have this uh you know, easing you into it outside of the first chapter. On top of that, the kind of pseudo-Metroidvania thing they had going on, where I spent a good while trying to figure out where the hell I was supposed to go, overlooking the one little opening at the top of the screen. Yeah. And that really uh, put me off of it as well. And maybe that's it. It's just 
it was trying to do too many different things on top of some kind of honestly, maybe this is also it. Yeah. Sometimes it's better just to try to talk through uh, the issues. I think also the fact that it was so floaty uh, where it felt like uh, all the jumping was in uh, like low uh, gravity, but it didn't have the speed that uh, most games that, uh, that are in that type of uh, physics area uh, makes them more enjoyable. I'm talking like super meat boy, for example, or even hell, I would throw Sonic into that as well, where Sonic has some really obscene jumps, but Sonic is also a lot faster. While this does have that dash, it just, it feels sluggish. And there's just so many things that just irked me about it. And then they had the chase sequence. And that's when, I think that's really when things kind of uh, soured on me. When you're being asked to do a lot of really obscenely uh, precision jumps. Where... A lot of it is based off of this dash that is very digital. That uh, It's one of eight different ways, and I'm not sure if it's just my controller, but it felt like there was times that the game would just screw with you. Where you would uh, hit the uh, wall to do a wall jump, and it would just, no, you're not doing that. uh, You're going to slide off that instead of uh, doing this really, really small window of wall jump. And I tried it with both the Steam controller and the uh, the uh, uh, the DS4, uh, the DualShock Four, and both of them just never felt right. To be fair, I didn't do much of the Steam controller because I'm still getting used to it. But it just there was just so like I said, so many irksome little things. Yeah. So I I really like the uh, difficulty system. You can really customize the, the difficulty of the game, and this is one of like the big advertisement things for it. Of You can um, leave it on like completely default settings. You can have small assistances, quote-unquote, uh, by having like a, a double jump, or rather a double dash by default. Uh, by default, you get one dash, and there are like little gym things that you can burst in midair if you are intended to solve something with more than one dash. But you can have a double dash by default. You can have assisted dash, which lets you uh, adjust your direction when you're in midair a little bit. It's not a ton, but it's enough that if you're just barely missing something and you can't quite get it, being able to slightly adjust in midair can allow you to get it. You can have uh, damage resistance or just be invincible. So damage resistance is if you like screw up and you ran into the spikes, you get a second where you can reset before they kill you. And then invincibility is obviously invincibility. There's a few other settings too, but those are the ones that I think mostly impact your uh, actual play. And for me, I settled on having the double jump most of the time. And then occasionally I would turn on invincibility up until the end, at which point I just turned it on. And I'll talk about that a little bit more in in a a minute. Yeah, I think that's also what kind of irked me is just there was uh, messing with it. It just felt like I was it was missing the point of it being a difficulty a difficult platformer. I think it was really the fact that it was wanting to be a precision platformer, but the 
controls just were not tight enough for that. When uh, you deal with a precision platformer, you have to have very, very, very precise controls. And this just felt floaty. This felt sluggish. And I fucking hated it. So, I mean, for, you know, I like I said, I don't really have anything to, like, super great compare it to because I generally don't like platformers. Mm-hmm. I thought it was fine um, for the most part. Having the double jump really helped because basically if you fuck up, you can you have one extra dash jump to correct. And yeah, but so that's the maybe problem, that uh, is that uh, if you don't go into the assists, uh, so many of the areas, you have to do the entire area perfectly and there's really no room for uh, uh, any error when yeah. uh, uh, when it doesn't feel like it's trying to make creative use of its uh, mechanics. It's just, well, you have to do it exactly like this. It's just, yeah. So the, the, the story behind the game, I'll talk about this for a second and then I'll really get into it at the end. Um, but the story is basically you're this character, Madeline, who has gone to Celeste Mountain to climb the mountain to prove something to yourself. And you're not sure what, but you, you're pretty sure you'll figure it out if you climb the mountain. And the mountain has magical properties, um, and there's this, like, crazy old lady that laughs at you a lot and tells you that the, you know, that the mountain is, has powers. And you're like, whatever, lady. And you go past her and you start the first, uh, like, chapter one or whatever, chapter zero, the tutorial, where you get your dash and it gives you the basic introduction to the mechanics and you go through the first world or the first stage whatever um which serves as the extended introduction where you get familiar with the basic jumping wall jumping climbing and dashing aspect and then the second chapter is a dream-esque sequence where that your where things get crazy where things start to get crazy and a part of yourself um self-loathing is what that part turns out to be and anger like self-anger um sort of separates from you and then there's a chase sequence where she chases you through the second part of the stage on the way out um and then you're like oh it was a dream and then you go back through the stage again but it's just really easy because there's nothing there that's dangerous you just kind of walk through um the third stage which you you quit so you didn't get there is a, a haunted hotel and it feels very Mario inspired in the way that the level works. There's little ghosts that float around and they, they do float on patterns. Um, but certain ghosts, if you like bop them on the head, they will, um, freeze in place and you can use them to jump off of. Um, there's a, a spirit that is running the hotel and you have to do some basic tasks for him as part of the level. Uh, and then you get another chase sequence where he goes bonkers and turns into like a really scary ghost. Oh, and it's a, it's a boss, like precision speed platforming thing. And you've got to run from him and he's actively trying to attack you and ram into you and you can bonk him on the head and freeze him for a minute. But basically you're trying to run, you know, to the right and avoid him. And that was one of the sections where I had to turn invincibility on because I just could not beat it trying to do platforming and dodge him. And that's another one of those massive difficulty spikes. And then chapter four is the... Is chapter four the temple? Or is chapter four the mountain climb? No, chapter four is the temple. Um, what I what I kept thinking, I, I kept calling it the eyeball zone. There's a 
a YouTuber I watch called Thought Slime, and he has this thing he does called the Eyeball Zone, where he puts eyeballs on small projects. But there's a joke of, like, Oculon, the floating eye, and a really bad, like, graphic that floats around on his screen while he's doing the Eyeball Zone. So I, I kept calling the right. temple the Eyeball Zone. And I I just had to turn invincibility on for part of this one as well, because the first part of it is just difficult platforming, and that's fine. But then the second part of it, the temple comes alive, and the eyeballs are floating around and actively trying to attack you. There's a section where that your friend, um, Liam, I think that's his name, uh, gets trapped in a crystal, and there's some stuff where you have to use the crystal to fight the eyeballs and do some puzzle platforming. Um, and escape. And again, I just, I could not do that. So I had to turn invincibility on for that whole section. Then the next chapter is a, a mountain climb that introduces, um, this thing where you can fly. You get like feathers and they turn you into like a ball of light and you can fly and the wind blows you around. Um, that one actually wasn't too difficult. Uh, I was able to do that one for the most part without invincibility and just my two, uh, boosts. And then the next one, you, like, fight. Well, you get knocked down the mountain um, after doing some story stuff. You get knocked down the mountain by your self-loathing. And you have to climb back up and confront your self-loathing. And you think that's going to be a talking portion, but then it's a boss battle where you have to go through an insane amount of screens. Something like 30 screens fighting your yeah, I think I'll quit out uh, a lot sooner than this. This was another section where that I had to turn on invincibility because I just couldn't do it. And then um, you make up with your self-loathing, and then you ascend to the peak one more time. Um, and you you level up once you rejoin with your self-loathing and become like self-actualized or whatever. And so then you get a double jump by default which doesn't change what you have set in the options, like with the assist mode, but the puzzles, um, the platforming starts to reflect you having a double jump by default. And that, for me, got a little bit more challenging, but I was able to get past that okay. And then there's no more like crazy boss battle stuff, and the, the tone of the game changes a bit. So difficulty spikes, it, it got way worse than just the, the weird little mirror chase scene thing with self-loathing in Chapter 2. So, and I, I love, I loved the accessibility, the difficulty accessibility. I, I have been a proponent for a long time and I'm, I've said it on the show before. Like, I think all games need customizable difficulty. Like Dark Souls needs an easy mode. Games like that need easy mode for a couple, I mean, for a few reasons. I mean, one, there's just pure accessibility. People with handicaps who want to experience games but can't. But then also people like me, like games have stuff to offer but if they're too mechanically complex then i can't enjoy the other aspects of those games and i don't care that i'm getting a different or some might say lesser experience by using the boosts and the you know invincibility and everything to experience the really cool story that celeste has to offer and i you know i don't think that like you you're doing it wrong and i'm doing it right or vice versa or whatever like games are meant to be played and enjoyed by people and they have messages that they can give out. And I think that the more people that have the ability to play games, the better. And when you make everything optional, people who want to have a harder difficulty experience, like I get that this game didn't click with you and that's fair, but you know, for other games, like 
people who want to have that hard difficulty experience can, and then people who want to be able to enjoy the other aspects of it, but can't because of the difficulty or because of some, you know, other disability that they possess. I, I think it's important and a good thing for games to have these modes like Celeste does. So, um, I yeah, can I just, th- I think part of the problem was that I couldn't find that, uh, equilibrium where it was still challenging without me absolutely hating it. Yeah. And that might just be part of it is that I think the, uh, platforming is absolutely terrible. Uh, until you get to the point where it's practically just a walking simulator. Yeah. I mean, that's fair. That's a fair criticism to to level at it. I, I want to talk about the story a little bit and sort of the meaning yeah, 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 go behind for it, it. Because I have nothing to input on this one because I really didn't get far enough to even really get the story. So or get Celeste... to really any of the story, I guess I should say, which might be part of the problem as well. Yeah. So Celeste is a game about mental health. On the surface, it deals primarily with anxiety. Um, Madeline specifically has panic attacks during the game. And at the end of every chapter, she has a conversation with someone. Like in one, at the end of one of the chapters, she calls her mom. At the end of another chapter, Liam helps her. At the end of another chapter, there's the confrontation with self-loathing. And there's a thing that comes up about dealing with her anxiety that way. Um so on the surface, the game is about anxiety. Um, and it, it walks you through what someone who has anxiety experiences. And I think it does this in a way that, that games, um, in, in a way that other media would really struggle to do. Because in one of the sections where that you're dealing with a panic attack, a, a gameplay mechanic, like a mini game, comes up. And you're trying to... Um, essentially concentrate on a thing and control your character's breathing. And it's really, really hard to do because there's all these distractions going on and all this stuff in the background, like this crazy, anxious music. And that's a good representation of what someone who deals with panic attacks does experience to someone who has never had one before, how that it can be overwhelming and you can't concentrate and you can't focus and um, you feel nervous and you know it, it builds and builds and builds until you're finally able to, you know, quote, deal with it. Um, And from a gameplay perspective, you are able to focus on the visualization. And the longer you stay focused, the more all of that stuff fades away until things return to a very calm pace. So it it does an excellent job of that on the surface. And a lot of the stuff that has to do with your self-hatred, your self-loathing, um, I think is a lot more general mental health, and this is quite possibly just because of my perspective as a therapist, but talking about having two sides of yourself and wanting to get rid of a part of you that you can't actually get rid of, um, because it is literally a part of you. And that's the journey that, that Madeline goes on with, like, Shadow Madeline, Nega Madeline, whatever, um, because you confront her at multiple points throughout the chapters um you have an an argument with her at the end of chapter three you tell her that you hate her that you hate this part of yourself that she's a failure that you just want her to go away because she represents a part of madeline that she can't handle and doesn't know how to deal with and feels like makes her be a failure you know her inability to quote unquote handle a situation because she you know again quote unquote freaks out and has a panic attack drives her insane like drives her or well 
perhaps the wrong language to use in a game that focuses on mental health, but it, it makes, it, it makes her feel like a failure and is driving this need to prove something to herself by climbing this mountain. Like that's the whole point of her climbing the mountain is to prove that she can do something and that she's not a failure. And the interactions that you have with other characters along the way, like Liam, um, and even the crazy old lady to a certain extent goes to prove to Madeline that actually I'm not a failure. My anxiety is is something that I have to deal with. It's something I have to live live with, but it doesn't have to define me. And that's the journey that you go through, told partly through dialogue between Madeline and the other characters, including, you know, Nega Madeline, but also partly through gameplay mechanics. Um, the use of, of music and sound and uh, lighting and backgrounds to create atmospheres that are directly reflecting the storytelling uh conceits or, or sorry motifs that are that are going on it's it's all done very well to reinforce this point of anxiety panic but towards the end self-acceptance um i i kind of don't like the idea that like when you accept who you are as a person that you get superpowers uh that feels a little weird but it is a video game so that's probably one of the well you already have a dash jump so yeah that's true, but that's that's probably one of the most uh, you know sort of pure ways you can represent that in video games. But you uh, you climb the mountain at the end of the game and you make peace with your demons, so to speak, and do things like try and get back in touch with your mom and start rebuilding a relationship there and and some other things. It's I, I think it's lovely and wonderful and is a message that uh, that a lot of people need to hear. And I hope people have picked up that message who have played the game. Um, you know, the, the, like I said, the on-the-nose stuff is the anxiety, is the panic, and that's directly called out in-game a couple of times. But the other stuff, the more subtle stuff, I hope that people do feel that uh, moving forward. So, yeah, that's the story of Celeste. Yeah, and I got nothing to add to that. <laughs> There's a, I mean, there's a bunch of other stuff in the game, like collectibles and whatever. I completely skipped all of them. I mean, I found some in the level as I was going through, but I didn't go out of my way to look for any. So, don't know what what that is or how that works. Um, otherwise, yeah, I, I don't know. Do you have anything else that you want to say? Anything that you want to add? Uh, not really. It's kind of funny, you know, a game about mental health uh, uh, made me feel absolutely depressed by playing it. Yeah, that's... You know, we interpret art. It, oh, oh, no, I didn't even get to the story. It's just the gameplay. Right. But, I mean, it, with, with video games, it's all part of the package. And that was a, a big enough turnoff for you that you felt disinclined to engage with the rest of it. And I think that that is a valid response. You know, sometimes we just don't click or connect with things. Or they push us away in some, you know, for some reason. Yeah, sometimes so. it can be picky as hell. Indeed. Um, for anyone interested, I scored Celeste at a, uh, 73. Um, I, I, I really love the theming of the game, but I didn't like it all that much. At the end of the day, it's still a platformer. Um, but it, it got a lot of points on the, um, uh, ludology category in my breakdown just because of everything that Was I just said about the story. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, but I, I think that those, that those themes and those messaging and then everything I said about accessibility 
and the difficulty options and whatnot. Like, it got mad bonus points for that from me. So, yeah, scored it at a 73. Um, So, I don't know. Did we talk about that? Probably about as long as I expected we would, about 25, 30 minutes. Yeah. I expected this one to be a pretty short one just because, Mm. yeah, I just could not, uh, just no. I noped out like Craig. (laughs) Yeah, Craig's had enough of our shit. Um, (laughs) Okay, so then with that out of the way, our next Game Club game for January of 2021 is Monster Sanctuary. Um, We're going to be playing this through Game Pass. Is it, I assume it's available elsewhere. Yeah, it's available. Well, remember, I sent you a Steam link. Right, you did. That's right. But uh, yeah, so if you've got Game Pass, you can play it on there. The Steam sale is still going on through, I think, January the 2nd. So if you wanted to pick this up on Steam, it is uh, It's bucks. actually available on Switch as well. As, oh, well, the Team 17 uh, page ought to give me a good idea of where it's available. Uh, it's available on really all major platforms. Switch, uh, Xbox, PlayStation... Uh, Steam and the Windows Game Store. Right. And Monster Sanctuary is a Metroidvania Pokemans. So, we'll... Yeah, it looks like a rather interesting mix-up of a couple different... (laughs) Very different games. Yeah. So, I'm I'm curious to see how much I like this. I do like JRPGs, and at at the end of the day, Pokemon is, is a JRPG. Um... But I'm I'm kind of hit or miss on Metroidvania style games. So depending on how heavily it leans on that and the way that it does some of its Metroidvania stuff, we'll see how much I like it. But it it looks interesting. Like I'm looking forward to the to trying this. So yeah, well, also be interesting is just uh, I see some uh, interesting tech trees for the different definitely not Pokemans, right? And it'll be interesting to see if. Uh, just how different you could build out different uh, monsters where it yeah could uh, it boasts what was it 101 different monsters so can they inflate that number a bit by having you know uh, they're definitely not pikachu uh, be built out several different ways right yeah it looks like it is actually technically still an early access title uh, the this game Pass uh, did not highlight that fact, though. That's interesting. Did it actually get a full release and they just didn't update the their main page, which is a possibility. Uh, no, it, it does look like it's a full release, so it's just they didn't update, update their uh, main page. So, yeah, that happens, right? I guess so. Somebody made a boo-boo. Yeah. Uh, Craig the intern <laughs> dropped out of the conversation. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, okay, so um, on to the sort of news. Ten-year-long uh, study confirms no link between playing violent video games as early as ten years old and aggressive behavior later in life. I cut I cut it down when I put it in the the yeah topic list, but yeah, this is a very very short article for such a long study because. Uh, uh, the primary study is behind a paywall, so, right? 
Yeah, I'm gonna, I will try and see if I can get access to this through my work or through the local library. Um, and see if I can get a copy of the, the study. But no promises, and even if I do, it probably would be, uh, a couple of weeks to get one. But I'm, I'm gonna see if I can get a copy because I'm interested. I'd like to read, read this. Um, yeah, because, I mean, right. <laughs> Yeah, and also, I mean, no shit, video games don't cause violence. Like, that's been a known quantity for I mean, a long if it time. Co- but if, this they caused, is a... if they caused violence, we would have seen the uptick by now. Yeah. Um, you know, we've said on the show many times in the past, video games actually reduce violence. They reduce violent behaviors. They reduce crime in areas where that people have access to them. At the end of the day, it's something that people can be doing that is not violent and not going out and doing crimes at like at a bare minimum. Like it's something that you can do, but also many studies have been done over the last couple of decades, especially that have shown time and time again, that there's no causal link between playing video games and violence. And I guess as far as I know, this is the first longitudinal study, which basically just means it's a study that's been carried out over the same group of people for an extended period of time. This one's specifically a 10 year long study, but it can be any amount of time, uh, over a certain threshold for it to count as a longitudinal study. So just yet again, more confirmation for something that we already know, but it's good to have the science. There could be some interesting or surprising finds in here. Uh, or perhaps data on ways that different uh, socioeconomic groups engage with video games. That would be interesting information to know. Well, it also looked like they had a pretty good uh, gambit of uh, uh, racial groups as well. 65% Caucasian, 12% Black, 19% multi-ethnic, and 4% other. So hitting kind of the major groups. Yeah. Uh, And this was the... uh, at the beginning in 2007. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. According to this article, it looks like, uh, initially families of low, lower socioeconomic status were underrepresented, but they were added, uh, after the initial sample size. Um, let's see. Uh, a couple things that are listed in this article. Uh, let's see. Boys play more video games than girls, which is more violent video games. Yeah. Um, I, did I misread that? Boys uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Sh- yeah, yeah. I, I was about it. to say that. <laughs> um, let's see. I think probably in the early days of this this study, uh, starting in the mid to late 2000s, I, I would imagine that boys did in general play more video games than girls. But by and large, there's no major distinction. I think actually women play more video games than men when you include all video games, especially yeah. like mobile games and stuff. Um, but depending on what type of video game you're looking at specifically, the demographics could change. But yeah, do uh, study concluded that the group with low initial violence was no higher in aggressive behavior than the high initial violence group at the final time point. Uh, yep. I mean, stuff that we were already aware of. People that have... It, just generally speaking, people who are more persistently violent for one reason or another tend to stay that way until they're forced to not be in some way. And people who are, are nonviolent tend to stay that way unless forced to be. And that has a lot more to do. And I'm just kind of speaking generally based on my own 
knowledge and education and experience that tends to be a lot more based on socioeconomic and cultural factors and has virtually nothing to do with media consumption. So, well, also, uh, well, I know people are going to use this as ammunition as well to try to defend loot boxes, but there's also the fact that uh, being violent in society, uh, uh, being violent towards others in society is frowned upon and is punished while gambling is kind of reinforced, especially for lower income groups. And there's no uh, social pressure to try to limit the amount of stuff that you do when it comes to gambling as opposed to violence. Because if you start beating up too many people, well, you're going to end up in jail, right? Yeah, in jail or dead, depending Mm -hmm. on... You know when and where and how, but and I and on the Reddit page that I found this, <clears throat> uh, there were some people saying, "Aha! Well, if it if violence isn't a thing, well then gambling. Well, no, it's doesn't quite work like that." Yeah, that's that's not how those how that works. Um, things can do one thing and not do another. It happens all the time with all kinds of stuff. Mm-hmm. It doesn't even have to be violence or video games. You know. Things are, we live in multi, multifaceted, complex lives and systems. And that that's a big one. Violence generally is frowned upon, whereas gambling at, is, at, at worst, just kind of ignored. Um, but, you know, we glorify gambling. Yeah, and, especially whenever you talk about uh, the state-run gambling, right? Yeah, and and there is, you know, someone could respond to me and say, well, we glorify violence, but not in a, on a societal level. Not, not in real life. We, we do in media, but media is not real life, whereas And even gambling... if you try to take it to the most extreme examples and talk about the military, there's still the rules of war, you know? There's still uh, things that you can and cannot do, and it's not a video game. Yeah, so... You know, we, we've had multiple episodes where we've talked about this in more depth. Uh, we're, you know, always open to a discussion on Discord or on Steam. You know, you can hit us up about it at any time if you want to talk farther. So, <coughs> unless you have anything else to add, we can move on to our next topic for the night. Uh, not really. I mean, I just thought it was an interesting uh, thing. I, it's a shame that the actual study is behind uh, such a, an extreme paywall. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I imagine that there's ways to get uh, to get a hold of the study it, without sailing the seven seas, right? No, excuse me. Although <laughs> I could I could sail the seven seas for it, but uh, that I'm, I'm, that would be impressive if it was out there. There there are places where that you can get research documentation that way, but it's less common because less people are interested in it. So, but yeah, I'll see if I can get a hold of it through either. Uh, my work, if uh, we're subscribed to the particular journal that this was published in, or through the library, um, see if they have a subscription par- purchased for that. Yay, libraries! Woo! Yeah, if, if libraries were a new thing, it, they would just be called socialism and they would never be put into place. Absolutely. Just think of the uh, the book publishers railing against libraries, right? Yeah. We're fucked up as Americans. <laughs> I mean, generally, Western society, but especially America. Anyways, let's not get started on that. Let's go talk about Steam's 
250 or 150 or something best games Steam released. Steam250.com in- uh, has, well, they keep a running tally of, uh, for each year, the top reviewed games. And since it's coming up to the end of the year, uh, I've seen places <laughs> sharing uh, their tabulated list. And it, I thought it might be fun to go through since, yeah, we're not going to really have a lot of <laughs> of uh game club this week which honestly is okay i'm very tired <laughs> i'm so tired oh so I, I, we're not gonna go through the whole list we're just yeah. gonna talk about some stuff yeah so the way uh steam 250 works is they take a, uh, a tabulation of all games on steam and look at the percent positive and the number of votes and then they also have an algorithm that they run to kind of counterbalance uh, a, uh, essentially the Amazon effect, where uh, if you go on Amazon and search uh, by average reviews, uh, items that have like one review that's five stars get bumped up because it's perfect. They try to mitigate that by balancing the number of reviews by the percentage and a few other who knows what uh, factors. I actually couldn't find a complete rundown of their algorithm. Uh, but it, they aggregate over 54 million reviews on Steam to provide full uh, ranking history. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it's an interesting list. So this they is are. all games released in 2000, uh, or 2020, uh, but it's, uh, early access kind of has a double thing where if a game released early access but came out of early access this year, it's part of the list. As in number two, right? Yeah, Factorio is number two on the list. And it had its release date earlier this year, but it's been available on early access since, I believe, 2015 uh, through Steam. And I think you could get it directly from them even before then. So, but yeah, Factorio, number two. Yeah, it's also in the top 250. It's been in the top five for pretty much... As long as it's been out. But also it was a hidden gem at one point. That That's another list that they run. This site, if you want to find just uh, oddball games or games that are, are not being pushed by the algorithm, this is a really, really good place to go. This is something where I've gone uh, a few times over the years, uh, especially during Steam sales, to look at, hidden, at the hidden gems list and all that. So Hades is number one right now. I, uh... Super Giant's uh, new uh, darling. I mean, it's just amazing at the amount of love I've heard about this game. I've tried to avoid any spoilers about it just because, right? Yeah. I do want to eventually play it, but yeah. Very um, it, impressive it tells you, looking. Yeah. So, go, go ahead. Uh, on the site, if you uh, sign in through Steam, it'll tell you in the top right corner how many games you own of the the particular list you're looking at. So I I own five of the games on this list. Um, Factorio, Helltaker, which I haven't played, but I own it, and that's listed at number four. Uh, Our Life Beginnings and Always, which is a free-to-play visual novel with, I think, like a choose-your-own-adventure-style visual novel. I'm not 100% because, like I said, I haven't played it yet. Um, But I installed it with the intent to play. Leaf Blower Revolution. <laughs> That's right. The Leaf Blower Revolution, as recommended by Phil, just Phil, on, on this show a couple of weeks ago. And then Project Wingman, number 94 on the list, uh, which I talked about three yeah. or four weeks ago. Oh, okay. So there's the third one. 
I've been I've been trying to find it. Uh, the the way that they highlight it, it they just gray it out with the uh, uh, with a uh, little bl- uh, blue box. So I have Cell- Shell Shock Live. I have Factorio. I also have Besiege, which is number seventeen. Uh, which really good game, Besiege. Uh, I haven't played it a lot since it left early access, though. But you can also uh, go in and take a look at just how often it's on sale, its price history, uh, how often uh, its price bumps, and its average price over the ty- over its lifetime. It's it's has a shocking amount of data on it, actually. Yeah. Very cool. I like data. I like spreadsheets. So, let's see. Another um, uh, kind of darling. Uh, I'm going to focus on the top of the list for now. This Phantom Phobia. This is one that's uh, kind of uh, uh, became uh, 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 a bit of a cult hit for a bit and then just shot uh, in, uh, onto the into the spotlight. Uh, it's a first-person uh, four-player co-op psychological horror game. And supposedly it's really amazing if you're into that sort of game. And that's why that and Factorio and we'll get to some of the other ones are so high on the list is that since this is based on reviews, more niche games are going to be put higher because you know, those are the more likely to get positive reviews by their players. But still, yeah. you know, it has just shy of 200,000 uh, uh, reviews. So, go, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, let's see. Satisfactory, number 10 on the list. That's a weird one. Satisfactory, I, is, I'm pretty sure it's still in early access. Um, and it came to Epic last year and Steam this year. Um, I mean, I, I like Satisfactory, but it, it just feels odd to me because I know about the history of this game. So, just a uh, strange feeling. Yeah, uh, Half-Life Alex is number five, which is the top-rated, at least for this list, VR title. Uh, and it also highlights it's a VR exclusive as well. And yeah. another one of those darlings, and yeah, uh, amazing that we actually get a Valve Half-Life game, right? <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, number eight, Deep Rock Galactic, a game that neither of us really liked all that much. Yeah. But I guess most people do. Well, I think we may have been playing it wrong, you know, uh, just two players. That felt yeah. like a game that was really meant for a three at minimum. Uh, Persona 4 Golden uh, at number nine. I mean, uh, it's Persona, right? Yeah. Uh, let's see. I'm, I'm going down through the list a little bit. Death Stranding and at number 36. Um, a little surprised that's not higher. Uh, Black Mesa at number 16. Remember that saw its full release this year. Oh, uh, Yeah. That's been in early access for ages. Uh, the fan remake uh, turned official remake of Half-Life 1. Uh, did they actually have completely uh, redo uh, the Zen area? I think they did, actually, eventually. Which was one of the major problems of the original Half-Life game. As that just went on forever. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Monster Prom 2. Good to see good old Jesse Cox getting a game here. Uh, it's number 26 on the list. Um, Yakuza Like a Dragon, the newest Yakuza game. Uh, and a bit of a reboot for the series from everything that I've heard. I've tried to avoid uh, uh, what's going on with it because, right? 
Yeah. But, you know, Yakuza is always a, an interesting title. So. Yeah. A, a Crusader l- Kings 3. Yeah. A little concerned that there's a, that there's a cat, that there's uh, paid about items. That's a little troublesome. Yeah. Crusader Kings 3 on here, though, at number 38. Um, happy to see Crusader Kings. Yeah. We've had a good time with it. Yeah, yeah. Our favorite dating strategy game of the year. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Spiritfarer on here at number 41. Another game I want to uh, just mwah, chef kiss. Recommend that to people for sure. Yeah, the Outer Wilds, which always gets confused with the Outer Worlds. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, including at, by yeah, me, no, I can yeah, use number them. forty-two. Yeah, and, but you also see a lot of free games like Virtual Cottage, which I think is a game that we kind of needed this year, uh, where you sit in uh, a comfy cottage and write letters. Yeah, or is that a different? Or, or no? Uh, Are you talking about the uh, one I'm where sorry. you write messages to people? I'm uh, sorry, sorry. This one, uh, this one's a different one. This one is uh, you open the game and it's kind of locks out your computer so you could do something. Uh, it's by the same developer that uh, uh, I think that was no 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 it's a different uh, game sorry I got Virtual this one confused Cottage. with another one it's basically you uh, have a uh, place that blocks out everything and you just l- uh, listen to some music and do your thing free to play game uh, and pretty highly reviewed for it yeah untitled goose game on here at number 54 uh yeah, now we're starting to get down to where not really recognizing a lot of them. A Super Liminal, Ma- number 65. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I must have skipped over that one. Stormworks. Uh, I think Jim has talked about Stormworks before. Yeah, that's uh, uh, the kind of uh, build your vehicle rescue game. Uh, it's one I wanted to pick up, but uh, was always having some performance issues when it was still at, at a low price and when it was in early access. And right below that is Carrion, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Recommend. Recommend Carrion. Uh, number 85, already mentioned, Leaf Blower Revolution. Recommended by Phil. So, there you go. Free to play. You have no excuse. Everyone go play it for Phil. And then tell him on the Discord whether or not you liked it. Uh, and how much of an influencer he is. And how much of an influencer he is, yeah. Uh, this is an odd one. Uh uh, by my opinion, at least. Story of Seasons, Friends of Mineral Town. So this is a remake of uh, Harvest Moon, Friends of Mineral Town. Uh, it's essentially a full-price remake of a PlayStation 2 game. And don't get me wrong, I absolutely loved that game, but it's a little hard to really be able to swallow that expensive of a remake uh, with them not really doing a lot outside of you know polishing the graphics, essentially. But obviously, a lot of people really liked it because it is uh, rated number eighty-three right now. Yeah. Oh, Florence uh, on the list at number one twenty-five. I don't know how well Florence would actually play on PC. It's designed to be played as a mobile game, and it has mechanics that work specifically with touch devices in a unique and interesting way. I mean, I love Florence. I played it. I think. Last year, or maybe two years ago, on mobile. So I guess I guess it released on Steam this year. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, Florence is lovely. I would actually recommend that you go play it on mobile devices. It's like three or five dollars, and it goes on sale all the time. At least on the Google Play Store. Um, play Florence. It's it's a sweet game about relationships. 
It made me cry. Yeah, let's see. Uh, well, not make you cry unless you're to- chopping onions, but Cook Serve Delicious 3 is on here at 95. <laughs> I haven't played this one in particular, but I've played earlier ones in this series. It's a very convoluted cooking simulator where you're uh, essentially a short order chef uh, in different restaurants uh, putting together orders. So, like, uh, to put together a hamburger, you may have to hit B to bring up the hamburger buns and uh, may, uh, then uh, start cooking the hamburger. And then it's, uh, it's plays like an old Flash game. Uh, and if you could get into the rhythm of it, it's really, really good. Uh, but it's also one that you, you need some time with. And just under that, uh, at number 97, speaking of Flash games, is Creeper World 4, which started off as a Flash game, and it's now a full 3D uh, RTS tower defense uh, gray goo uh, destroying simulator. All right. (laughs) Uh, Interesting. uh, The the Creeper World series is a really, really fun RTS management game, or RTS base building game. And supposedly Creeper World 4, where they went full 3D, uh, they really, really refined the game. I'm not sure if I want to go in at 25 bucks, but it's supposedly really good. And the fact that's on here in the top 100 kind of uh, says that too. Yeah. Oh, hey, Monster Sanctuary. Uh, that's on here at number 133. Um, I'm glad I went back and looked again because I, I went to the bottom of the list and didn't see anything else. So I'm like, I'll, I'll check over it one more time. So that's neat. Yeah, well, there's Coffee Talk at 135. Remember you talked about the demo of that? Yeah, uh, no. I didn't play Coffee Talk. Um, I, 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 that must have been Discovery Q then. Probably was Discovery Q. The um, one that I played a demo of and talked about and uh, keep meaning to play was We Should Talk. I actually got it installed. Uh, yeah, I, I got a review key of it a couple months ago. And I just haven't gotten around to playing it. I'm going to say Coffee Talk is either on Game Pass or it's uh, very cheap somewhere. I can't remember where. I might, I might have seen it pop up on a Switch. I was just looking Possibly. around on there. Uh, Chicken Police on here at 138. <laughs> Talked about that a, a month or two ago. Still haven't played the demo for that. It's got a demo. Very, very odd looking game. Right up my alley. Yeah, uh, right at the bottom of the list at 150, uh, which is brand new on the list, uh, is What the Golf. Uh, Sort of an anti-golf game where it's for people who hate golf. (laughs) Made for people, made by people who know nothing about golf. So it's essentially a golf game where you do everything but play golf. So, like, for example, one of the levels you... uh, uh, put uh, just looking at the gifts, and instead of the golf ball going flying, your golfer goes flying. With uh, and they add more and more mechanics as it goes. Yeah, I don't. Uh, I don't see anything on the well. Uh, Detroit know, become Detroit human. Detroit become human. Yeah, there's a whole bunch of ways you can go through and break this this list down. You can go by year. It goes all the way from 2020 to 2006 specifically, and then there's a category that says pre 2006. You can yeah. go through and you can yeah, look at... Yeah, which is pretty much the uh, the uh, Steam uh, or Valve highlights there, with a few exceptions. Yeah, you can go through and you can search by tags and see how different tags get ranked. 
You can look at them by price. They've got a couple. They got like a hidden gems list. So there's a lot of stuff here to go through and look at. Yeah, they um, also have the the uh, top uh, 250 discounts, which it goes by the. Uh, let's see, uh, uh, the pricing and discount information. Uh, 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 it does update once a day. So like Portal 2 is 80% off, Terraria 50% off. It's based off of high-rated games that are uh, on deep discount or uh, have a significant discount. But uh, I really like the Hidden Gems uh, area where it's an aggregate of highly-rated games that don't have a ton of reviews. Mm-hmm. So like right now, the top one over there, it looks like it's a... A visual novel? Oh no, it's a, a, a one of those uh, hardest Dale's uh, top-down shooters, but it's also not in English. But yeah, some interesting-looking games over there as well. I could have sworn I've sent you this uh, site before. Because I I'm... don't remember it. You might have talked about it before. I, I've never seen this site before tonight. I, I know I've uh, I've used it for uh, several years actually, and. Uh, when I was doing the news sweep to see you know, what was going on and finding nothing, I saw someone talking about the top uh, uh, games list over here and thought, yeah, that would be fun to talk about. Yeah. Um, I'm going to spend some time going through and looking at a bunch of this stuff later. And I've bookmarked it so that I can just come back and check on it every once in a while. Um, yeah, It's the, very cool. Yeah, the, the free list is uh, full of interesting things. Uh, the free-to-play list. <laughs> Also, going by under five bucks as well. Looks like it has all sorts of fun things that you could do. Hey, Among Us is there at number 10. Woo! If you wanted to save that, like, two bucks, right? That's right. Go Among Us! Yay! Oh, no, you being uh, this happy about it is pretty sus. (laughs) Oh, fair. Fair. I'm pretty sus all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. So that is it for that. We had nothing for the community corner. So if you wish to contribute, bglpodcast at gmail.com. Tweet us bglpodcast on the Twitter or drop by the Discord, which you find the link over at bglpodcast.podbean.com. Indeed. So let's let's head on over. We'll do a, 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 a quick discovery queue. I'm awake enough for, for one. Woo! I'll get that uh, card uh, at the very least because I had done my queue today. So I got uh, right off the bat because I had an open RoboQuest, an early access game that looks like the bastard child of Doom and, uh, well, Battle uh, or Borderlands with the art style. A a very comic book style, uh, stylized, uh, cell shaded, uh, rogue like first person shooter. But it plays like Doom. So a lot Interesting. of a lot of movement, a lot of uh, uh, flanking. It's actually quite impressive, and it has online co-op. Nice. What is it? How much does it cost? Uh, it is duh, 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 thirteen bucks right now. Okay. Uh, with a thirty percent discount. Uh, it's a shame that uh, games don't do many of the bundles anymore, huh? Yeah. Um. All right. So I got one. Uh, what with all of EA's stuff. Coming over to Steam, uh, I picked up, or not picked up, but uh, was shown Unravel 2, which was the very cute game about being Yarny and traveling somewhere on an adventure, but with Unravel 2, they added a co-op option. I mean, you can play the whole game solo, but you can play co-op, and one person 
controls blue Yarny, and the other person controls red Yarny, and they're very cute together. So, uh, it's five bucks if you buy it on Steam. So, there you go. Yeah, I'm getting a lot of shit. <laughs> I mean, a, a lot of very bad horror games, or bad-looking horror games, I guess I should say. So, I mean, this is still horror-esque, a uh, little uh, Lovecraftian, but I got Stirring Abyss. So, Stirring Abyss, an indie tactical squad-based game with strong RPG elements, in which you uncover ancient mysteries in the depths of uh, the decrepit, uh, in, the cl- uh, in the classic vein of Lovecraftian horror. So, right? Yeah. I mean... Squad-based uh, horror—that's something, right? It has a free demo, so right. Yeah. So I got uh, Vampire: The Masquerade: Shadows of New York, with uh, Vampire: The Masquerade: Bloodlines Two supposed to be coming out soon. Um, there have been two or three of these uh, vampire um, choose-your-own-adventure visual novel-style games that have come out recently. Uh, and this is the next one in the line. I think I haven't played any of them. I think they're all connected in some way. Um, I don't know if they're also supposed to be connected to Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2. But uh, with me playing a vampire tabletop group, I'm very interested and aware of these. And so are, are my players. I didn't buy anybody uh, any vampire games for Christmas, though, when I was spreading the love. So... Maybe I'll I'll spread the love a little more. Oh my! So I got an interesting one. It's a sports game, but not your typical sport. I got AFL Evolution Two. So this is an Australian rules football game. So okay. I, I have to admit, I have no idea the rules of Australian football. I've seen it a couple times on the Ocho, uh, but that's about it. No idea what's going on, but the fact that it's a Australian rules football, fine. Okay, sure. Right? Right. So Oh no. <laughs> I got I got a game called PP Puncher. Uh let me just let me just read this to you. PP Puncher is a turn based RPG, mostly text based, about a guy going on a quest to save his waifus by punching his opponent's PPs. The game stacks new game mechanics to the fight system as the player progresses into the game. Right. And uh, that was mostly a run-on sentence. They need to learn how to properly use punctuation. Well, it's a good thing Um, the game doesn't have a lot of text in it. (laughs) I know, right? Oh my goodness, the story. A scientist named Brynn finally manages to make his waifu real by turning his body pillows into real people. Unfortunately, he also published music under the name Brynfu Cthulhu, which made Cthulhu angry. Cthulhu then sent Espinoza, a newly created Eldritch god, to kidnap Brynn's waifus. Brynn now has to free all waifus and confront Espinoza. That's just... I was going to, like, skip this... Com- oh my god, it's free! Ah! Playing that. I'm well, playing PP well, Puncher. Well, that's gonna uh, shoot up the uh, Steam uh, 250 Top 150. Absolutely. Because you're so an influencer. But, yeah, but you do need to get Phil to play it since he's a bigger influencer. Yeah, Phil's a bigger influencer than us. PP Puncher. So I got something kind of interesting. I got Fishing North Atlantic. So this is a uh, fishing management game. Think Deadliest Catch. It looks like uh, some of the 
uh, reviews say that's a bit buggy, possibly a lot buggy. Uh, but you know, right? I mean, uh, right. We do have kind of a soft spot, both of us, for uh, management games just in general. And it actually doesn't look that bad graphically, I guess I should say. For I should say a management game at least, because they tend to be a little bit on the ugly side. Going to to look at this fishing North Atlantic. Oh yeah, okay. I mean, it doesn't look too bad, all things no. considered. Uh, I've wish listed this, which means that probably at some point in the last two months, mm-hmm. uh, I have uh, had it in my discovery queue as well. Which you know, not a big deal. We have, yeah. we have overlap sometimes, but yeah. Very cool. Okay, uh, I got one cyber hive. Cyber hive. Uh, strategic space travel simulator, whatever that means, with a nonlinear story and anime visual it. style. You can't just travel anywhere in space. I mean, there's not enough space for that. Right. Space is very small and full of things, as we all know. Um, interesting. So it's like a ship management game with mini games and a lot of uh, like choose your own adventure slash visual novel type stuff with characters as you build relationships and let's be real romance the anime alien girls yeah I'm into this yeah I'm just looking at this one real quick hang on so I got <laughs> Pirate Quartermaster this is a strategy exploration game where you or strategy management uh, it's just kind of a weird combination of things uh, uh, you're not playing as the captain you're playing more as the quartermaster trying to keep the pirates alive uh, by keeping them uh, uh, supplied it, it's interesting uh, it has a demo so well worth checking it out uh, uh, you're the first mate on the pirate ship so oh no nice <laughs> so this is this is my next one uh yeah. Toast defense. Were you done with the pirate quartermaster? I'm sorry. Uh, yeah. Um, it looks pretty interesting, actually. Okay. Yeah, it does look interesting. Uh, it's got a demo too. I might have to mm-hmm. play that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Toast defense. This is a free-to-play tower defense game where you're building water gun towers to defend your toast from ducks, and that's. Wouldn't that just encourage them? That I. Yeah, probably. But I just it's I love this. I love this. It looks so bad and stupid, but it's free. So, you know, as long as you get a, get a, a cheap laugh out of it, then it's worth your time. This is I'm going to play Toast Defense as well. Let me go here on Steam. I already installed PP Puncher. Of course you did. So now let's get Toast Defense. How big is Toast Defense? Uh, 83 megabytes. That's larger than I expected. Yeah, I mean, that might just crush your internet. I know. Yeah, I'm uh, out. I had too many just crap games. Uh, here's one rogue, like the the rogue. Um, I haven't I haven't read the description to see whether it's like someone spruced up rogue or or what. Um, experience the original that spawned a thousand rogue likes. Venture into the dungeon. This of looks Doom. very familiar. Yeah. This looks like old school rogue. Yeah. So I guess someone recreated it and uploaded it on Steam. It's three bucks. So very cool. Oh no! <laughs> um, did you get? A one? Uh, 
Uh, no, I just uh, saw Phil responded. Oh, he responded. What did he say? <laughs> <laughs> Grief Helm? What is this? Oh, this looks stupid. Well, it's my last game, and I said its name out loud, so I guess I'll... Yeah, you summoned it. Grief Helm. A party... <laughs> Grief Helm is an award-winning party game with lethal medieval weaponry. Skew your friends, deflect their blows, and push your advantage in local online multiplayer. But I get the impression... I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I get the impression that it's, like, wacky. Kind of wacky. I don't know. The trailer doesn't make it look super wacky. Maybe I, I judged this game too harshly initially. How much is it? Uh, sorry, 15... I, was, I was busy reading the... Uh, people uh, yelling back and forth how Rogue technically is not a roguelike <laughs> uh, on the forums. There is there is no more roguelike than Rogue. Well, it, would it be like itself or would it be defining itself so it can't, can't technically be a roguelike? Yes, but also uh, so, no. Sort of like one of those things. Uh, does a, 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 a series of sets that contain uh, all sets include itself, right? Yes. No. Maybe. Okay, Wheatley. Is this a is this a question for a philosopher or a mathematician? No, it's something you yelled at AI to fry uh, with a paradox. <laughs> right. All right. That's that's my cue. Uh, I had one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Yeah, I had a lot of either VR only, which uh, means I wouldn't post it. Or just really, 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 really bad looking, uh, uh, well, uh, horror games. I mean, don't get me wrong, I don't mind horror, but, uh, or at least talking about it, not necessarily playing it, but there's something about the horror genre that tends to just bring a lot of poor development. Right. So, yeah, that's, that's my cue, that's your cue. Hey, Rage. Hit them with the socials. Oh, I've been Caffeine Rage. You can find me on Twitter, Gaming with CR, where I've been betching about my governor again. Or you can find me on Steam, Caffeine Rage. And you've been? Gaming Psychologist. You can find me on the YouTubes by searching for Gaming Psychologist on Twitter at JMA4707, where I can be found regularly shitposting and retweeting shitposts. And you and can be my friend memes, on... Don't forget that spicy memes and you can be my friend on steam by sending a friend request to j arthur 4707 and obviously if you join the discord you can talk to me there too and if you wish to let them know exactly what episode of the podcast you're coming from the password for this week is noping out nope 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 <laughs> oh In- uh, you're, you're, you're corrupting phil poor uh, phil. yeah absolutely absolutely this is now phil's thing that he's going to be known for forever even though it's probably not completely true. What, punching peepees? <laughs> yeah, punching peepees. Poor Phil. <laughs> oh. Man, uh, if it wasn't a game club week, the title for this week's episode would definitely be PP Puncher. Yeah, I'm very thankful it's a game club week. <laughs> oh. Although I have to admit, I have made a, a joke about getting a PP up in Pokemon. <laughs> and Anita just uh, rolled her eyes Tee-hee. at me. Uh, she rolled her eyes at me. <laughs> nice. Because, of course, she did. Of course. Uh, but, once again, if you wish to roll your eyes at us and contact us about it, 
You can contact VGL Podcast at gmail.com with your letters, voicemail, gaming related topics, or tweet them to us, VGL Podcasts, on said Twitter. Our lovely, lovely patrons have made this madness possible. You find out more at patreon.com slash VGL Podcast. Or you could go over to our Podbean, vglpodcast.podbean.com, which hosts the show notes, the RSS feed, links to all our stuff, including the Discord, where we've been corrupting Phil. And where you can see Phil's latest review about <laughs> Toast Defense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, We're going to have to bring Phil back on for just random uh, idle games, aren't we? Absolutely. We'll get him back on. Hey, Phil. Talk about all the weird idol games that we made you play. <laughs> uh, anyway, you can find out more at VGLpodcast.podbean.com. And if you wish to spread the love, you can find us on your podcatcher of choice. Our intro downtrend music is on the ground by Kevin McLeod. And our Discovery Cube music is doobly-doo. Uh, also by Kevin McLeod. Both can be found at Incompetech.com. And as always... As his lovely music starts to roll across my voice. Bye bye now. Uh, see you next time. Bye bye.